So the liability that can be generated from that amount of soil being potentially contaminated on virgin land is quite substantial. Welcome to It's Soil Not Dirt, an interview-based podcast on all aspects of geotechnical engineering and sponsored by PRI Engineering, experts of soil mechanics. We aim to come in under 20 minutes while diving deep into one question around a single topic. It's particle-sized and meaningful. I'm Janet Jansen, your host, and today we're speaking with Arash Azneni from PRI Engineering and Brandon Spiller from Vertex. Brandon is a Vice President, Environment, Liability and Closure. He is trained as a hydrogeologist and has been working in the field for over 12 years. Arash, we all know from PRI Engineering, he's the Director of Engineering and has consulted as a geotechnical engineer on countless of Solar Foundation projects. Now, this is part two of a topic that we started in our previous episode on illegal soil dumping here in Ontario. Uh, last episode, we concentrated largely on regulations here in Ontario, and this week we're going to go a little deeper into a particular case study. Let's get started. So we're going to take a little bit of a turn, but I feel like the managing risk part of this was a really great segue right into the environmental concerns. So we have everything from soils that are, say, um, fairly green, like something you would find in more of an agricultural area, not contaminated to soils that are more contaminated. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about the environmental issues and concerns we have with reusing soil. Absolutely. Uh, that is a great segue. Uh, in terms of uh, the environmental concerns associated with reusing soil, I would go right back to the agricultural example you used. In a lot of cases that created this regulation or created the need for it, soil was being hauled from an industrial commercial site and it was being disposed of in an agricultural setting, which is much more sensitive to potential contaminants that would be prevalent in an industrial or commercial setting thus creating quite a bit of liability on the actual owner of that agricultural property and diminishing the value of their land. So the main issue associated with the environmental side is the unknown associated with the contaminants that may be in that soil. Planning ahead and having a concept of what is actually in that soil allows you to build a plan out of how you're gonna dispose of it properly and find appropriate either reuse or disposal sites. Uh, thus not slowing down your actual construction process when you actually go to put a shovel in the ground. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about how we're dealing with contaminated soil. And I know there are like different grades of this as well, but then versus say like clean soil, because you also don't want to dump clean soil in, in with contaminated. And then you, in effect, you're creating more contaminated soil by mixing the two together. I think one of the great examples of reusing contaminated soil for beneficial use is really salt impacted soil adjacent to roadways. So in our country, we have a bunch of issues associated with the fact that we have winter and how we address that on our roadways is using road salt. It creates a contamination issue adjacent to that roadway. And a lot of the properties that we're talking about are really adjacent to those corridors. In a lot of cases, you can find 
a reuse site that is in a similar situation that you can actually take that soil to that would actually be adjacent to a roadway instead of having to dispose of it. So there are creative ways to actually create a benefit out of encountering contaminated soil on your site. It's not always the most expensive option wins. I'm, I'm sure many um, project managers are going to be happy to hear that contaminated soil isn't always the most expensive out there, that there are some more, I would say, cost-effective ways of dealing with contamination. All right, I think now's the time that we get into a bit more of the juicy topic out there. And I just want to talk specifically about a case, and I think one of the the, I guess, catalyst and for there being some regulations in Ontario regarding soil. Okay, let's get right into it. Let's talk about the Green Bank Airport site in the township of Scugog and near the town Uxbridge here in Ontario. This gathered a lot of press at the time and mainly because there were a lot of lawsuits between the township and the owners of the site. Now, Brandon wasn't involved professionally with the site, but Arash did do a bit of work on the site. Arash, would you like to talk about it? Yeah, no worries. Um, so I worked on some geotechnical investigations for a proposed hangar at the Green Bank Airport, and that had nothing to do with you know any of the investigations related to the environmental conditions or any of that kind of stuff that that made the press. But you know, when I first visited the site, um, I'd heard about it and I'd seen some topographic surveys of it and I just had seen the alterations that had happened the man-made alterations that had happened at this location and I said something isn't adding up here and I remember driving up the first time we went to the site and it's one of those sites that you can definitely see from space the the it probably was like one or two Roger centers worth potentially um quite a bit of soil um, you could see it from kilometers, kilometers away. I, you know, I jokingly say if we were in the prairies, you probably could have seen it from Alberta. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was, there was a lot of soil and it just felt like something, something isn't adding up, but nonetheless, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't what I was involved for. We were just doing, uh, giving some foundation recommendations for proposed small hangar, and it was going to be the first of a couple hangars they were building. And I don't know if they ever actually ended up building those hangars. So just to give a bit of background, it is a lot of soil. I wasn't able to find a lot of information on how much soil they actually moved, but I could find some information on what the original agreement was. Back in 2012, the company Green Bank received permission from the township to track in 2.5 million cubic meters of soil. From what we talked about earlier, that's about 10% of what is moved in Ontario each year. Obviously, they won't be moving that amount of soil in a year, and that would be about 250,000 truckloads. So this would be something that you'd be able to see from quite a ways away. I've seen pictures of the site, and you can see a mound of soil at the site. It's, it's a lot of soil. At the time of their applications, there were some questions from the council, such as, why do we need to move so much soil? And the company's basic rationale was that they were going to smooth the land for the airport and that there was a gully there that they needed to fill. So this was the reason why they're going to move that amount of soil. Uh, the company also did make some promises at the time as well. John Packer, the airport's manager, said that um, 
they will be testing the soil. An independent company has been hired to, hired to test the soil at the source before it's trucked in. So they would know what they are getting and it wouldn't be contaminated. Um, and most of the fill would be brought in from Toronto, but it wouldn't be coming from contaminated sites. Now, I would really like to know how many sites are contaminated in Toronto, but maybe that's a topic for another podcast. Uh, fast forward to 2017, and now the township is being sued for Green by Green Bank for $10 million, And they have countersued for $105 million. So Green Bank initially sued because the township had requested that they stop dumping soil at the site. And then the township suit, did a countersue in response to that initial action. So maybe now we could turn here to Brandon, who could talk a bit about the promises made and broken here, and what that means for a predominantly agricultural area like we find here. So at the the root of the regulation that they created, sampling requirements are very prescriptive. And so in a case like this, the actual site that all the soil that was contaminated came from would need to have been sampled quite extensively and would have identified any contamination associated with that site and made the receiving site, in this case Green Bank Airport, aware of that component of what was being hauled to their site, thus giving them the ability to reject it. And one of the main cornerstones of that regulation is the actual sign-off of the receiving site that they're accepting this load of dirt or this type of dirt to their site. And without that sign-off from the receiving site, they're not allowed to dump on that site. Uh, so that is one of the main reasons why that regulation would have prevented this situation from occurring. Obviously, it's much more complicated than that. But in its simplest form, that is how the regulation is protecting land in Ontario. Yeah, just to just to add to that, the the regulation also requires the completion of an assessment of past use report, which helps identify what has the historical um, what has this land been historically been used in the past? Maybe it's a maybe it's a shoe shoe store today, but you know maybe 25, 30, 40 years ago it used to be a rubber plant or a gas station. So you know there's always some unforeseen mysteries underground that humans in the past may have buried. And, um, you know, so this assessment of past use report allows us to identify what the past use was, what the potential, what the areas of potential environmental concerns are, what the contaminations of concerns are, which then leads into the sampling program that that Brandon spoke to. And to provide some context to uh, the actual magnitude of economic benefit associated with this project and how it was initially executed, there's a reference out there that would state that a single load of contaminated soil costs about $6,000 to dispose of. In this case, they did not, they forewent that $6,000 and actually deposited at a site that they wouldn't be paying tipping fees and they wouldn't be forced to put the soil in a landfill. So the actual economic benefit back to them is quite substantial in this case. And there really was a driver for them to execute their project in this way, failing a regulation preventing them from doing so. So essentially, the company that's dumping the dirt is going to be paying a lot less than they would pay to other sites. And then Green Bank is pocketing pretty much all that money because they're really paying a very minimal fee to the township to actually dump the soil 
in that particular site as kind of a, a fringe benefit. But really, and I would assume, and this is an assumption on my part, is that what they're paying the township is actually far less than it would cost ever to possibly deal with this contaminated soil. So in terms of like cleaning up this mess, how would that work for such a lot of a big site and for such a lot of contaminated soil? And is this even reasonable to expect that this can be cleaned up in a way that would match the expectations of the soil that was going to be dumped there originally? In terms of that component, the the details of the contamination become quite prevalent. Uh, now that component is not overly public of what the actual contamination was and and how severe it was, uh, but based on some generalities, a lot of what was done would need to be undone in terms of excavating that soil out and properly disposing of it, depending on what percentage of the soil was actually impacted or contaminated. There is the option in terms of remediation and being able to treat soil on site depending on contamination levels, but if it was impacted enough, that typically isn't an option that's economical versus the option to dispose of it. What are some remediation practices that you can do or what can they do to remediate soil? Maybe that's not the case here, but what can they do? In quite a few cases, you're able to use techniques like bioremediation, chemical oxidation, aeration. There's multiple different technologies that are associated with soil washing. Every remediation technology has its own, call it bucket that it fits in and type of soil that it treats. There really isn't a silver bullet out there that deals with every single type of soil and every single type of contamination. So really that becomes a case by case basis and a, you know, a site by site basis as well. Yeah, so essentially remediation is the toughest option out there and why it's so much better to control movement of soil rather than dealing with a site with issues later on yeah and um to add to that i mean the the management of the excess soil is one thing but once again back to as putting my geotechnical engineer hat on if you can reuse the material on site it's in your best benefit because all of a sudden these regulations don't really matter you can if you can manage the material on site and you can find for find a place for it from where it was generated you don't need to abide by the requirements of this regulation Absolutely. That's a great point. In a lot of cases, if you're able to keep that soil on site, as long as it doesn't go over a certain cap, it is much more economically beneficial to actually address it in that manner and not need to deal with it. That keeps the liability on site and, and removes this regulation from being applicable to it. Uh, but it is a great way to manage it without having this be uh, an economically burdensome exercise. Okay, so I think we're, we've exhausted um, this particular example for the time being. Um, and I just wanted to thank you both for coming here. But before we end it there, is there any last thoughts, anything that you would like to mention about the topic that we haven't covered yet? From my perspective, uh, I think it's a really interesting topic to talk about, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to it today. I think it'll be something that we're speaking about for, for years and years as this regulation comes into place, and then the further regulation comes into place in 2025 as this evolves. Uh, I think it'll become a staple for how other regions and other areas of not only Canada but of North America deal with excess soil in the future as this will be a prime example of how to properly manage that exercise. Yeah and to add to that you know to to the to the people out there 
that uh, that you know have excess soil issues, you know, start thinking about this early in the project life. And you know there is um, there has been, as Brandon mentioned earlier, some uh, some delays to initiate in this project of this this initiative. However, I don't feel like we can you know ignore this problem for another ten months and be thinking about it again January first, twenty twenty three. Those that are investing the money into it are going to see the economic benefits that we have spoken about today. Thanks for listening to It's Soil Not Dirt. Today was an excellent episode, and thanks to everybody involved. Next episode is going to be just as exciting. We're speaking with Mike Francis from GEMS, and he's going to be talking about hydrogeology. If you like this podcast and would like to stay up to date on all of our upcoming podcasts, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform or visit us at our website, priengineering.com. And remember, it's soil, not dirt.